Parshas Naso, longest parsha in the Torah. It has a lot of narrative material. It has a continuation of the discussion of counting, and counting the counting the Jews, counting the Levim. Beginning of the parsha, it has the lengthy account of the Karbanos of the Nesim, the, the leaders of the tribes at the end of the parsha. In middle, we have a discussion of several mitzvahs, several halachic sections of the parsha. Not nearly as many mitzvahs, certainly in light of the, certainly relative to the total number of psukim as other parashiyos, but we have three, at least three halachic sections. We have the, we have the, we have the parsha of the sota, the woman who is suspected of infidelity by her husband. We have the parsha of the, of the nazir, person who takes a vow of Nazirus, who is, uh, has to abstain from certain conduct, and we have Berchas Kohanim, the, the, the mitzvah of the Kohanim, to bless the Jews. I want to speak a little bit about one aspect of the mitzvah of Sota. Sota is a very unusual halachic chapter. It involves a supernatural test. There's a ritual that we perform. We, we, if a man suspects his husband and certain conditions are met, so he brings her to the temple, and then he, uh, she, they bring a carbon. He brings a carbon, a kind of, uh, he brings a carbon for her, a, a flour without flour of barley, without oil, without lavona. It's unusual. And then they do the special sota ritual. The carbon is a relatively normal carbon, albeit with those changes. But then they do the unique sota ritual. They take holy water, mayim kedoshim, and a klicheres. They take offer, they take dirt, the coin takes dirt from the karka mishkan, from the floor of the, from the ground of the mishkan. He puts the water, he puts the dirt into the water, and then there are other details of the ritual, and he makes her take an oath. He, he, she, she has to swear that she's innocent of what she's accused of, that she conducted herself properly, and the, the, the oath contains the consequences, that if she's innocent, she'll be unharmed, if she's guilty, she will have a terrible demise. She will physically disintegrate. And then the Torah says, The Kohen then writes the, these curses, these, uh, these dire warnings and curses, and he writes them down immediately to erase them into the water, the Mehamarim. Then she drinks the water, and that drinking of the water performs the Sota test, and they bring the carbon as well. She drinks the water if she's nitma, if she's guilty, and she was unfaithful to her husband, then she suffers a terrible fate. And if she's not nitma, then she'll be fine, she'll have children. And that, that is the ritual of Sota. So the, the Talmud has an interesting observation that it says they write these olos, they write ha'olos ha'ela, they write these curses, these uh, imprecations, and, and they write them down, and then they erase them into the, the water, into the water that the Sota is going to drink. So these alos contain the name of Hashem. It says that it says that uh, Hashem as Hashem contains the name of Hashem. Normally, we are quite strict about not erasing the name of Hashem. That's what we call shemus. That we are very careful to treat paper, to treat anything with an inscription of the divine name. We treat it with special care. We we bury it. And we, we we don't destroy it. But here's the case, we write down a parasha in the Torah, including the name of Hashem, and we erase it into the water. The Torah says do it. The same Torah that told us don't erase Shemus normally. Uh, don't, erase, uh, don't erase Hashem's name. Told you here to do it. But it's a remarkable thing that the Talmud uh, finds striking 
that we are going to be erasing the name of Hashem as part of the Sota ritual. And the, the Chazal, in, in a number of different places, Masechus Derecheret, Tosefta, the Bavli, Midrash, a number of different places, Chazal have a famous expression, Amar Rabbi Yishmael, Godol Hu HaShalom, greatest peace, Shalom, Shalom Bayis, peace is uh, such a great value, it's, it's so important, that we find the Kodesh Baruch Hu was willing to waive the respect normally due to his name, Hashem allowed, Hashem commanded that his name be erased. Why? In order to uh, return peace and harmony to this marriage. Now, if you think about it, that's an interesting way to look at Sota. When, when a man suspects his wife of infidelity, so if nothing happens, then he just goes on suspecting her. If nothing happens, then the, the cancer of jealousy and mistrust just eats away, eats away at them, and you know, he doesn't have proof that she's guilty, he doesn't have proof that she's innocent, and it just uh, eats away at the marriage. Sota, the Sota ritual can do one of two things. If she's guilty, it will destroy her and show she's guilty and end her life as well as the marriage. If she is innocent, it will show she's innocent. By, by, by surviving the ritual, that was generally considered proof that uh, the husband's suspicions were baseless and he was, uh, and she was innocent. So what is the primary purpose of Sota? Is the Torah out to, to punish the guilty or is the Torah out to exculpate the innocent? So one might have thought that the primary purpose is to punish, is to, is, is to, is to punish the guilty. But Chazal said, not like that. Chazal understand the primary point of Sota is actually the reverse, is actually to exonerate those who are not guilty. And that's why we raise Hashem's name, not for the purpose of punishment. That, that wouldn't be apparently the need to punish the guilty, whatever need there is to deter sin and so on. That apparently wouldn't be enough of a reason to erase Hashem's name. Hashem wouldn't have erased his name for that reason. It's for a greater good, the good of exonerating those who are innocent and thereby to enhance the shalom, to, uh, to bring peace back to marriages in which it is lacking. That's the, that was the reason Hashem commanded that his name be erased. That's what Rabbi Shmuel says in a brisa quoted in various different, uh, various different forms of literature of Chazal, Masechus Derech Eretz, God Shalom, Lakash Baruch who uh, had his name erased in order to in order to bring peace Another variation of this occurs in the occurs in the Tosefta and Masechah Shabbos, brought by the Bavli. The Bavli is discussing what we should be doing to heretical works, works that teach heresy, that undermine belief in, in Hashem and the Torah, Sifrei Minim. Again, not clear exactly what those are in practice, but there are some kind of works that are were pernicious in that they uh, they corrupted they corrupted people's belief in Hashem. So, there are different opinions in the Tanaim, what you do. Rabbi Tarfin says, you burn it, even, even, with the, even with the names of Hashem. They wrote a Tanakh, you burn it, and you burn the, you burn the name of Hashem. Rabbi Yossi says, you cut out the name of Hashem, and then you, then you put it in Shemus, but he says you, that, you, that you put the names in Shemus before you burn the, the rest of the book, but Rabbi Tarfin says, burn the names of Hashem as well, because they wrote it with idolatrous intent, and it has no, no Kedusha, no anything, it can just be burned. Then Rabbi Yishmael, the same Rabbi Yishmael who says that the purpose of Sota is Gadol HaShalom, and that's why he raised Hashem's name to promote Shalom Bayis, he says, I apply that principle here as well. In order to create Shalom Bayinish Ishto, the Torah says, Hashem says, my name that was written with holiness should be erased. 
So here, the, the Sifrei Minim cause dissension and, and, and enmity between us and God. They, they corrode our relationship with Hashem if we read them. So destroying them is promoting Shalom in our relationship between God. It's a common metaphor in Jewish thought that the relationship between Klal Yisrael and Akash Baruch Hu is a romantic relationship. It's similar to a man and a woman, like Klal Yisrael and Harsina, it was like a Kala, and so on. So the, these different meaning, which are like, uh, which are like uh, you know, causing infidelity between Jews and God, so to stamp it out, certainly it's worth erasing Hashem's name, meaning even if these names would have Kedusha somehow, you could still erase them, because, perhaps because the, it's all for Shalom. You can erase the name of Hashem for Shalom, for Sota, you can erase the name of Hashem to stamp out uh, the heresy, which is corrupting the relationship between us and Akash Baruch. That's again that that's the same Rabbi Ishmael, Rabbi Ishmael again, who says that the point of the Sota ritual is 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 to is to promote shalom, to restore shalom to the between man and woman, and therefore the same thing applies in the opposite direction to stamp out Mina, stamp out heresy. That's also permitted to erase the name of Hashem. Another Gemara, Gemara in Sukkah, a very, very uh, interesting and uh, strange Gemara. The Gemara says that there was, a, there was an apocalyptic episode. It sounds like something out of modern apocalyptic fiction. It says that there was a story that when David was digging the Shitin, he was digging these subterranean chambers below the, on the Temple Mount, below the Temple. Somehow he struck, he dug too deep. And he struck the, he struck, somehow he got into the Tahom and he released a, uh, this uh, unstoppable force. The, 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 the waters of the Tahom were released from their, from their being locked into the ground and they began to overflow and they threatened to destroy the whole world, to flood the world. David had a solution, not an engineering solution in the modern sense, but David's solution was a mystic or a, a divine solution, a theosophic solution. His solution was to write Hashem's name on a shard of pottery and throw it in, and the name of Hashem, the power of the divine name, would uh, suppress the water, would lock them back up where they belong. Am I allowed to do that? He said, erasing Hashem's name, if I throw it in, the water, the, the name will get erased. Am I allowed to do that? It's a very, it's a very serious, it's a, it's a major crisis. The, the world is in danger of uh, being destroyed, but erasing the name of Hashem is very serious as well. What, what exactly the question was, Pikuach Nefesh generally overrides all mitzvahs in the Torah, including Mechik Hashem, why, why it wasn't obvious to David that uh, saving the whole world would justify erasing the name of Hashem is uh, something of a mystery. Again, it's an Agatha Gemara, it's hard to know how, uh, how literally halachic we should interpret this Gemara, but the, David's question was, I don't know, I don't know if I can do this. He had a question, he had difficulty obtaining an answer. Finally, Achitofel told David, Achitofel was, uh, was a very uh, mixed figure in, the, in Tanakh, in, in Gemara, he was, uh, he, was a, he was a leading figure in Klal Yisrael, but he became a, uh, he became a, a, a rotten, he became a, um, a, a, a terrible influence on, the, on Klal Yisrael. So, but he was a great Talmud Chacham, according to Chazal, he was also a great Talmud Chacham, even though he went bad eventually. So Achitofel was the one who said, I have an argument, I have a proof, I have, I have reasoning that will allow you to do this thing, to write Hashem's name on the chaspa and throw it into the water. Because, again, Rabbi Ishmael's, Rabbi Ishmael's thing, to make Shalom ben Ishla Ishto, Hashem let, allows his name, commands us to erase his name in order to promote Shalom bias, in order to, in, to, to restore harmony between man and wife. You can erase Hashem's name. So, saving the whole world, Lasso Shalom b'chal ha'olam kulo, saving, pr- promoting Shalom, promoting the survival of the world is included in that. Alachas kama v'kama. Certainly you can do it. He told him, Mutter, they did it. 
It worked, apparently, and the story goes on. You can see the details in the rest of the Gemara. But again, the, 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 same, the same basic point that Shalom is such a great value. We see that even Mechikas Hashem, one of the most un- unthinkable things we can do is mutter because of Shalom. That's what we see in the story of Sota. And that's what led David, Achitofel, and David to the conclusion that they were able to sacrifice the name of Hashem in order to avert this uh, world-ending catastrophe. Gemara in Durham, Bavli and Maseches Nadarim. Bavli has some stories about the, the lengths to which certain rabbis were willing to go to promote Shalom Bayes. They were willing to humiliate themselves, to, to debase themselves. They were willing to uh, do whatever it took, so to speak, in order to promote Shalom Bayes. So the Mara has one story there. It says, a man told his wife that, apparent, that he said, unless you give your food to Rabbi Yehuda, some of these stories are quite funny, actually. People, people discuss whether Chazal had a sense of humor. Some of these stories are actually quite humorous. He's, a man told his wife, he wasn't funny, I guess, if you were the man and the wife in the story, but the way the Talmud recounts these stories, the dryly are kind of, uh, kind of humorous. A man told his wife, you're such a bad cook, he says, I make a nedger that we're going to have nothing to do with each other until you give your food to taste to Rabbi Yehud and Rabbi Shimon, the great rabbis Rabbi Yehud and Rabbi Shimon. Unless you feed it to them and they eat it, uh, we're, not, you know, we're, we're not getting back together. Made a nedger. A nedger is a very serious thing. You can't, you can't violate a nedger. As long as the nedger is in place, the marriage is over. So they had to find some way of resolving this. It could be matter nedger in some, place, in some cases, but for whatever reason, they, they weren't going to go the route of Ataras and Dharam here. Maybe the husband wasn't going to cooperate with Ataras and Dharam. So the question came to Behuda Rabbi Shimon, will you do this? Will you, uh, will you, uh, you know, take one for the team? Will, will you eat this food in order, to, uh, in order to allow this couple to get back together? Whether the woman would still want to get back together with a husband who treats her like this is another question. We, we, we've discussed this, you know, this is always an issue with marriage in the time of Chazal, like the story of the rapist who's, who, who's obligated to marry his victim. What does the victim say about that? Does she really want to do that? But in this case, apparently she wanted to get back together. She was willing to, uh, to feed her food to Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Shimon. The question was, should they eat it? Rabbi Huda said yes. Rabbi Huda ate it, and he said, Kalvachomer. He said, I will do it. He said, because I have a Kalvachomer. The Torah said in the parish of Sota that Hashem allows his name to be erased in order to in order to restore harmony between man and wife, me, just Rabbi Yehuda, I can certainly do this. I can, whether he was concerned about the, the, the quality of the food or just the humiliation of, of playing this little game with them, whatever it was, he said, I, you know, I have no problem. Whatever my personal feelings about this are, they are, uh, I, I, they are overridden by the paramount uh, value of Shalom Bayis. In order to reconcile this couple, I will eat it. Rabbi Yehuda therefore said again, Another, another Kalvacham or another application of this principle that we erase the Shem Hashem to, be, to, re, to restore. Again, all these Gemaras are assuming that the erasing the Shem Shemayim is not in order to kill the woman, it's not in order for the, to, to punish. The primary purpose is to restore the Shalom Bayis. Rabbi Shimon, however, would not eat. Rabbi Shimon felt that, first of all, he felt it was, uh, it was a, it was a uh, blatant disrespect to the Chachamim to drag them into this and have them eat his food. Moreover, he said, I don't want to encourage Nadarim by people have to learn there are consequences to Nadarim. I want people to learn that to be careful before making Nadarim. He, he was not willing to eat, so uh, I'm not sure. If the Nadar was that they both have to eat, then his, his refusal to cooperate uh, doomed, the, doomed the marriage. If it was either or, then maybe that would be different. I'm not sure. But anyway, that's what the Gemara says. Rabbi Yehuda reasoned similarly to Rabbi Yishmael that if we see that even the Shem Hashem can be erased, for Shalom Bayis, that means pretty much you do anything for Shalom Bayis, including whatever principles or 
preferences you would have had about eating this food, you set them aside to restore Shalom bias. Rabbi Shimon said, no, I have certain principles. He didn't, he didn't address why he feels his principles are more important than erasing the Shem Shemayim, but he felt that, in the, again, it's hard, you know, these are Agadah Kamaras, it's kind of it's hard to say rigid halachic rules, but he felt that there were principles at stake here, that he had to take a stand, and he was not willing, he was not willing to eat, he was not willing to eat this food, even at the cost of, uh, of, uh, of losing out on an opportunity to restore harmony between this couple. There is a Rashi, there's a Rashi also who talks about this idea of, of Shalom Bayis. It says that the Kiar, the Kiar in the Mishkan, the laver, the sink thing, the, the, the metal keli that held water that the, they used for various purposes in the Mishkan, it was made of copper. We, we, we read about the Kiar back in Chumash Mos, about the, the construction of the Kiar. And it says in Parshish Bakude, it said it was made of Maros Hatsovus. It was made out of Maros, which are translated as mirrors by at least some commentaries. It was made of maros, of the tzovos, of the hosts of women who came and donated their mirrors, their personal mirrors that they used for, uh, that they used for grooming themselves, they used for their beauty regimens, they, they donated their mirrors to the, the simple reading of the Pasuk is they had, they had such love and such dedication for the Mishkan, for Akash Baruch Hu, they gave even something that was dear to them, their, their personal possessions that they used for, uh, for, you know, for basic feminine things, they gave them to the... They gave them to the Mishkan as, a, as an offering to a Kodesh Baruch So Rashi explains that these mirrors were used for the Kiar. And the, even that, it, Moshe actually was reluctant initially to use these mirrors for the Kiar. Because he felt you know, mirrors are used for, uh, for you know, arousing desire. He felt that there was something uh, unholy about them, that they were used for Yetzirah Harah, they were used for, even, even if it was done, presumably it means even if it was done between husband and wife, but it, you know, it's something private, it's something intimate, it's not something that, uh, that, not something that, without, that, that should be used for a holy purpose like the Kiar. Hashbarakul told him, no, they're right, and, uh, and, and, it, and it, it's an offering that we should accept and use them for the Kiar. And, and Hashem said, on the contrary, these are Chavivin Alayim Menachol, these mirrors are a very dear offering to me. The, the, these mirrors are a beautiful offering. And the, the reason why, the, the Midrash gives an interesting reason, Tanchuma, it says, because the women were interested in maintaining their families and having children in Mitzrayim. The husbands were exhausted from the slave labor. And the husbands didn't have energy or interest. You know, the, the, women's used to, the women used to use the mirrors to, uh, to uh, beautify themselves, adorn themselves, and attract their husbands. So again, it was a healthy and, and wholesome and religiously valuable thing to do. To, uh, to promote the family life and childbearing and so on. And therefore, this was a very, these mirrors are pure and dear to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he says, and use those for the kir. Why for the kir? So the Rashi explains, this part apparently is not of the Midrash, Rashi explains, because the kir was, was again, as Chazal tells us, the kir was for the, the kir, the, the, one of the purposes of the kir was water, according to one opinion at least, they used the water from the kir for the Mesota, to give to the Sota. And that itself, again, if the primary purpose of the kiyar was to kill women, then the, that, wouldn't be, that wouldn't be much of a response to the women. We're going to use the mirrors that you brought to kill your sisters. The point is, the primary purpose of the Sota ritual was the other way. It was to exculpate the women. It was to restore harmony. So the mirrors served a valuable and, uh, and uh, lofty purpose to restore Shalom ben Ishto. And we're going to use the mirrors that were donated by the women. They're personal mirrors. We're going to use those mirrors to fashion the kiyar, which would eventually be used, among other things, it was also used to, to purify the kohanim before doing the avodah, but it was also used for the mesota, it was used, it, it was, it was used for that purpose. All right. There is uh, one, 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 one further midrash I'll mention here, 
in in Vayikra Rabbah, it gives a whole bunch of uh, whole bunch of perspectives on Shalom, Gadla Shalom. We're going to discuss in detail some of the, some of what Chazal said, some of some some of this midrash later. But one point relevant to us now, in line with the previous uh, Gemaras and Amari Chazal we read, the Gemara brings also a very humorous story about Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir, Belele Shabbos, Friday nights, used to be Darish. She used to speak. There was a woman who used to sit, used to sit and hear his drushes. And uh, she got home. She got home late. And uh, the husband asked her where you were. And she said he was, and, he, and, he, and she said, I was listening to the drusha. He told her, he was apparently enraged. She was apparently uh, upset that she had neglected him or that she had stayed out so late. He was very unhappy with her. Again, some of these husbands don't seem like such worthy uh, catches exactly, but he was furious with his wife for staying out so late. He says, you can't, uh, I won't take you back. You, I won't, I won't you know, accept you back as my wife until you go and you spit seven times, until you go and you spit in the, at the Darish, at the person who you're so enamored of, who you think is, is, is worth spending your time with and not being home with me, until you spit at him, until you spit at, him, until you spit at his face, uh, you, you're, not, uh, you're not coming back. So she well, didn't know what to do. She, you know, she, she wanted, apparently, to be reconciled with her husband. She went. She didn't quite have the courage to, to do this, to, to spit in Rabbi Meir's face. Finally, her, uh, finally she, she approached. Rabbi Meir, it says, had Ruach HaKodesh. Rabbi Meir had the divine spirit told him what was going on. This poor, poor woman, this, this desperate woman, is in an impossible situation. So Rabbi Meir came up with, uh, with an ingenious solution. He said that I have, I have some kind of ailment in my eye, and there's some kind of therapy, a folk remedy, which involves somebody with the skill to spit in an eye, and that can cure it. Does anybody here know how to do that? So here's her chance. Here's your, here's your chance. Go in and say you can do it. And uh, this, is, uh, this is, in, is a previously inconceivable opportunity to fulfill, to fulfill your husband's demand, and you can do this. So she started to do it. She was going uh, to do it, but at the last minute she quailed. She couldn't bring herself to do it. What she was facing Rameir and she was actually called upon to do this, she broke down and she said, I, I'm not really uh, a skilled tailor who knows the proper procedure. I only came because of what my husband said and, and I, I, you know, I, I, just, I, can't, I, I can't do this to you. So he told her, don't worry about it. He said, he told her, don't worry, just do it seven times anyway and, uh, and, uh, and, and I'll be fine. She did it. And he said, go, go tell your husband, you, you told me to do it one time, I'm, I'm such a good wife, I did it, I did it seven times. So that, that, that's what Mayor did, again, in the same vein as uh, the person who ate the, the food, that he was willing to make himself a bit of a doormat, uh, halavai, he's able to accomplish the, 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 this, 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 this wonderful goal of restoring harmony to this marriage. So his Talmidim objected. They said, this is a bizarre Torah. You're allowing yourself to be spat at by, by this woman. It's not her fault, but I mean, you're, 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 you're allowing these people to, to treat you like this. So he said, he could have told one of us, if you're really sick, you know, I guess they, weren't, they didn't realize the whole thing was a strategy. He said, if you, if you really needed a refua, one of us could have done it. It would have been you know, more discreet. It would have been uh, more appropriate. So he told them, you know, who do you think I am? Rabbi Mayer, am I better than God? He said, if God, if he told them what, what he was doing. And he said, if God could allow his name to be erased for the Sota in order to restore harmony, so me, mayor, you know, I can do that too, he says. Uh, I can do this too. I can allow myself to be spat at in order to restore shalom bias between a man and a woman. So this is the whole family of Mamari Chazal that we've seen, who all inspired by the halacha of the Sota, that we erase Hashem's name for the purpose of Sota. And again, as we've been saying, 
the Chazal are pretty consistently assuming that the, the ritual is not fundamentally a vindictive ritual. The primary point of the, victu- of the ritual is not to punish. The primary point of the ritual, what allows us, what, 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 what caused the what induced the Kodesh Baruch Hu to, to, come, to instruct that his name be erased, is the desire to restore Shalom Bayez, so the, the, a positive aspect to, 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 to promote harmony, to enhance harmony between husband and wife. That's why we, that's why we erase the name of Hashem. And that's why we learn all these other things that you can uh, to taste the food and to allow yourself to be spat on, and you can throw the paper into the and throw the cheres into the dome to save the world and so on. It's all, it's all based on this idea that Hashem sacrifices his his honor, the the respect due to the name of Hashem, and the well, they all, all learn from Sota. Now there's a Gemara in Yivamis. There's a, there's a Bavli in Yivamis, also on the topic of Shalom. The Gemara, the Gemara brings three opinions. It says, Amr Rabbi Ilah, Mishum Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Shimon, a very famous statement of Chazal, Mutur Lola Adam Lashanas Bedavar Hashalom. A person is allowed to uh, prevaricate, to dissemble for the sake of preserving harmony, of preserving Shalom, Shalom Bayas, other types of Shalom. Shanemar. So the, the, the Babli brings three opinions. The first opinion says Mutur. The second opinion says Mitzvah. The third opinion says is back to Rabbi Shmuel again, it says, it says uh, God la shalom, even a Kosh Baruch Hu engaged in, engaged in prevarication to preserve shalom. Each one brings a possible. The one who says mutter, what is the source that it's mutter l'shanas b'davar shalom, is from what the brothers said to Yosef. At the end of Parshas Vayechi, after Yaakov died, the brothers were afraid that Yosef had been treating them, uh, treating them gently as long as Yaakov was alive, not to upset his father. Now that Yaakov had passed away, he might uh, you know, bear his fangs and he might, uh, he might uh, act on the enmity which he surely uh, re- retained for them. So they told him, your father gave a deathbed, uh, deathbed command that, uh, to you to forgive us. That was not true, the, the Gemara says. The, their father had never said that. The Torah never records that Yaakov said that. We have a whole parasha that, that, that recounts Yaakov's last words to Yosef, to his sons. He, he could have told Yosef on one of these occasions. He knew he was dying. He, he said, let me tell you all these things before I die. Yeah, right after he gave the brachas, he died. He had, he had opportunities to tell them, please, to tell Yosef, please forgive them. He had a whole private meeting with Yosef earlier in the parasha with Menashe and Ephraim. He had plenty of chances to tell Yosef, to uh, tell Yosef directly, to, to, to tell them to tell Yosef. Why? But, so the, the Gemara understands they were lying, that they, they, they were not telling the truth. They were just desperately trying to uh, keep the peace with Yosef. And the Gemara says they did the right thing. What, what they did was permitted. They were telling a white lie. They said, your father told us. All they were trying to do was preserve peace between them and Yosef. They weren't trying to take advantage of Yosef. They weren't trying to do anything bad. All they were trying to do was preserve Shalom. That was mutter. Rabbi Nassim says, mitzvah. It's actually a mitzvah, meaning Hashem actually directly instructed at least one somebody to prevaricate because of Shalom. It says that when, when Shaul had fallen out of favor with Akash Baruch Hu, Shaul had acted incorrectly, Hashem wanted to replace him. Hashem told Shmuel Hanavi, go appoint Ben Yishai. Go appoint, uh, it turned out to be David, go appoint Ben Yishai as the next king. So Shmuel responded, this is treason. If, if Shaul finds out what I'm doing, then he will execute me for, for treason. So Hashem said, good, we'll, you'll have a cover story. Take an animal with you, a calf, 
and say you're going to bring an offering. Nobody will know your, your secret mission. You'll, you'll have a, a cover story for outward appearances. Hashem told him to lie. He was not going to bring an Eglis Bakr. He was going to commit treason and appoint a new king. But the, Hashem said, do it. Again, it's an interesting inference. We might have said, Mutra Lashana is to save your life in this case. But the Gemara calls this Shalom. This is also this is an idea of Shalom that Hashem told Shmuel to dissemble in order to preserve Shalom. Third opinion, back to Rabbi Yishmael, he's the one who infers from Sota. In this case, he doesn't bring up Sota, but he, but, but he brings up, he says, Gadol HaShalom, where do I see Gadol HaShalom? Even Akash Baruch Hu himself engaged in uh, a sort of dissembling, and this is a famous idea, I think Rashi brings it on Chumash, it says that in the beginning of Pashas Vayera, where the three men, the three, the three angels, the emissaries of God, appeared to Avram, and they told him that the, a year from now, Ka'es Chayo L'saravein, Sarah will, will bear a child in, in a year from now. It says, Sarah laughed. She was skeptical. She said, That I, I, have, uh, I am past my childbearing years. And also, And my husband is old. My husband is too old to have a child. When Hashem reported to Avram what she had said, she said, that, he, told, he told Avram that Sarah said, I'm too old. He left out the part. He, he altered it. He didn't say that Sarah said, she just said, Vaniza Kanti. So Hashem artfully uh, altered what, what she had said because had, had Avram heard that Sarah's calling him old, and he knew he was old. Intellectually, he knew he was old. It wasn't a secret. But, the, but when a man hears, his wife says, You're too old, you feel bad, even though what she's saying is simply a biological fact. But that's, that's human nature. Even Avram Avinu was a human being, in that, apparently. And had, the, had he heard, My wife is saying, My wife is writing me off as too old to have kids. There would have been a pang of, uh, of pain, a pang of hurt, that uh, this is how she talks about me. So in order, for, in order to preserve Shalom Bayis, Hashem altered the report. The report he gave to Avram was slightly doctored in order to preserve the, the Shalom between Avram and Sarah. Yes? But wasn't a complete lie, because, because he, she, she did say Adoni, not... not right. So Hashem is definitely her master. Okay, right. So simply suggesting it might not be a complete lie. I mean, she wasn't saying Hashem was old, but yeah, but uh, also she did say she was old as well. She did say Achre Velosi Haisali Edna. So we can argue that it wasn't a, it wasn't a black and white lie from yes to no, from black to white, but it was uh, the Gemara calls this a Shinoi at least, that this is also God Shalom. And then, and even Hashem himself engaged in, in this sort of thing in order to promote Shalom. In the version of this discussion in Vayikra Rabbah, it brings a, uh, a fourth example of, uh, of Shinu Pnei HaShalom, a, uh, another example of Hashem himself uh, altering a report to, to preserve Shalom. It says that, Amr Rabbi Shalom Gamliel, Gadol Shalom, again, great is peace, that Dibru Aksuvim Lashem Beduyos, that the Torah itself, the, Torah, the, the, the biblical text itself contains falsehoods or misstatements, in order to produce, in order to to to, uh, to to preserve and to enhance shalom, so it gives some of the same examples. The example of Yosef and his brothers. It gives the example of. Uh, it gives other examples, and one of the examples is, one of the examples is uh, earlier. Bar said, "Godel shalom, dibruk suvim lashin badai, lashin badai, benevim." What's the example? The example is from the story of the birth of Shimsha. That's uh, actually it might even be this week's Haftarah, the, the the story of Shimshon. Yeah, right, the Haftarah Yes, thank you. So it's a, it's this week's Haftarah. The we we mentioned one of the other stories in the parasha is the is the is the, cat, the other sections in the parasha 
is the account of Naziris. So we bring the most famous Nazir in history, Shimshon Hagibar. Shimshon, the Shofate, uh, who, 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 who was, whose parents were told before his birth that he would be born to a previously barren woman and he would be a great man and he would be, uh, but he was supposed to be a Nazir. So when, when so, so famously, the, the Malach over there, the Navi, whoever it was there, first appeared to Ashish Menach, it first appeared to Shimshon's mother, Shimshon's to be, Shimshon's, Shimshon's, the woman who would become Shimshon's mother. And he, initially he told her, he keeps appearing to her, and then she, and her husband says, you know, I, I want to hear. So the, she comes back to her, and he, she runs and calls him so he can hear as well. So the first time the Malach appears to her, he says, He he told her, you're not Kara. He didn't mince words. He told he was blunt. He said, you're not Kara. You're barren. He says, you haven't had children, but you will have a child. God will give you a child. When he, when he spoke to Manoach, when, when he gave the, his version of the, when, when, he, told, when he told Manoach what, uh, what, the, what he had said, he said, Manoach lo Amr came. He didn't say, your wife's not Kara, she'll have a child. He didn't want to, he didn't, he, saying, that, saying that to her, it wasn't anything she had done, but apparently it's, uh, it's emphasizing that her barrenness wasn't going wasn't to be good for their marriage. So he told her, he told Manoach, that she needs to she needs to follow certain instructions to have a child. But he took the edge off. He didn't say she's barren, she's Nakara. He didn't want to say the word Akara to her. Again, it's not it's not exactly a lie, but but he but he 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 restated things, he stated them differently. If I'm understanding the Midrash correctly, again, because another example of Lush and Badui, that even in the biblical text, the the, the Nevi'im, the Malachim, the biblical text sometimes alters the words in order to preserve Shalom. Now, this Gemara in Yavama says there are, there are three, that there are three, uh, three derivations and three formulations, mutter, mitzvah, and even Hashem himself does it, to Mishana Pnei Shalom. There is a cognate passage, or a related passage in Bav Metziah. The Gemara in Bav Metziah says that a Talmud Chacham is allowed to lie about three things. A Talmud Chacham is allowed to, is allowed to be Mishana, to Basically, it sounds like the same idea. It's a Mishana. Normally, a Talmud Chacham should tell the truth, but a Talmud Chacham is allowed to prevaricate on, on three, in three issues. The Maseches, Bepuria, Ubush, Biza. Regarding his learning, the, the tractate that he's studying, Bepuria, something to do with a bed, and Bush, Biza, something to do with his host and being a guest. There are different sheetas in the Rishonim exactly uh, what, what, what these things mean. Masechta, it has to do with bragging that, the, that, 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 that he shouldn't, uh, if, if people are asking him, do you know this? How much do you know? Do you know this? Do you know that? He shouldn't go around saying, yeah, I know that, I know this. He should say, I don't know that, or yeah, I'm not, I don't know so much about that. If they actually, Tosa says, there is a Gemara in Kedushin that says, you should know Devrei Torah, I, I, you should have Devrei Torah at your fingertips. If someone asks you a Shiloh, just say, answer, answer the Shiloh. You should have things clear and, uh, and, 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 and well, 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 well developed in your mind. That's what it's in Galamaisi says. Someone has a din, he has to know the answer. He's asking you a shayla, so you should know it and you should answer it. Someone is just testing you and wants to know how much you know and wants to know uh, that. There's no point. He doesn't need to know that. So you, you should, Tamil Chacham will prevaricate uh, as a matter of humility and not, not go around. Uh, uh, I cannot tell a lie. Yes, I know that. I know everything. I mean, you shouldn't, uh, that, that's not appropriate. Ushpiza, um, the Rashi and Tosa say, that, that if someone was a guest at a certain place and they asked him, well, how was it? Did he treat you nicely? You shouldn't say, it was magnificent. They treated me like a king, even though, that's, even though that, that, that might give cover to the person. It also might attract a lot of uh, other uh, 
would be guest to that person's house. Oh, if he's really so generous, you know, I'll, I'll come and leech off his uh, generosity. So that's actually something that's not so good. Chaim talks about this in, in Hilchas Lashon Hara. And uh, so sometimes praise itself can be against someone's best interest. So that's a case of Ushpiza. Um, that, that you, should, you should not you should not tell the truth you should not go because even though it will give him cover it could, it could cause him un, uh, unwanted uh, attention Puria bed it has, it has some kind of sexual connotation as a matter of tenius uh, asking where you slept there's certain questions about uh, that can lead to no, nothing objectively bad but it can lead to uh, disclosure of intimate and private information as a matter of tenius as a matter of tenius the also, that's something Talmud Chacham will dissemble about because, because it's not appropriate uh, to share every bit of information about your personal life. It's not always appropriate. So what Talmud Chacham can and does lie about these three things. So the Rishonim ask, in, the Rishonim ask that in this Gemara in Bab says there are three things. The, the Gemara in Yivama says, God la Shalom. Shalom is great. To preserve Shalom, we, we could, it's, it's a mitzvah to lie. Hashem lies. Why doesn't the Gemara list Shalom as the as, as a fourth thing? The Gemara from Matzias would say, "Tamidicham lie about Shalom." If uh, women, if they have encounters with husbands and wives, they, they sometimes won't tell the truth in order to uh, preserve Shalom bias, to, to enhance Shalom bias. So why doesn't the Gemara from Matzias list that as well? So the Rif says, the Rif says that the the Rif says that because. Shalom is a mitzvah. Shalom, the conclusion of the Gemara is, it's actually a mitzvah to lie. These things in Bab Matiyah, they're permitted forms of diplomatic uh, dissembling for, for privacy and so on, for, for grace, to be gracious, to, to, but, but it's not actually a mitzvah. The Shalom is a mitzvah. Shalom is even more than these three. These three are, are permitted, there's a legitimate reason to say it but, it, but we wouldn't actually call that a mitzvah. But the... The, the Gemara Nivamas is saying that the, the drushas it brings is even that it's actually a mitzvah. So, so, so that's actually a mitzvah. Some learn that the cases in Primagodim brings, but some learn that the cases in Bamatia are mitzvah as well. Tosis gives a different answer to this question that he says these three are shalom. These three are also forms of shalom. Shalom can be interpreted in a, in a broader sense than the, than, the, than the specific case of shalom bias and shalom between family members. All these things are darche shalom, and uh, they're all forms. Shalom has a much broader connotation, so people can get along. Not bragging, I guess, is a form of shalom. Just being uh, modest and, and, and less you know, snobbish is, is shalom. All these things are ultimately forms of shalom. Shalom has a much broader connotation than avoiding people quarreling. Interpersonal relationships, people, the people getting along with each other and feeling at ease with each other. All that is called Shalom. And the Gemara gives these examples because these were more common examples than the ones in, than the one in Yuvamas. But it's all really the same principle, Tosfus says. These are all examples of Mutra Lashanas and Shalom. That's Tosfus Shita. And it might be mitzvahs as well, according to that. If these are Shalom, maybe it is a mitzvah. I'll call upon him. This is a, a, a famous Gemara, a famous group of Gemaras, that even though generally it is very important to tell the truth, Gadol HaShalom, Hashem lets his name be erased. Hashem himself uh, alters the truth sometimes, and we have these various Gemaras that say that a person is actually allowed, and even a mitzvah sometimes, to be mishaneh, to, 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 to diverge from the truth in the interest of, interest of preserving shalom. There is a, um, there is a uh, remarkable and very provocative tshuva of the Torah Lishma. Torah Lishma was a curious work. It was published under, uh, under the name of an obscure Chacham from centuries ago. It was, je- it, it was published by the Rabbi Yosef Chaim of Baghdad, the author of the Ben Eshchai and the Rav Palam. 
It is generally believed, based on a tradition, I think, from his own descendants, that he himself wrote the Sefer, and he published it under a pseudonym. It's, today, it's generally considered to be the Torah of Rabbi Yosef Chaim of Baghdad himself, one of, one of the Gedolei Hadar in Baghdad in the 19th century. Still today, one of the, today the, for, for, for Jews of Iraqi extraction, one of, the, one of their, their, their leading light. In the Torah Lishma, so, the, so as I said, he, he wrote different halachic works. He has material on the Ben Eshchai, which is halachic. He has, he has the Rav Pa'alim, which are kind of classic, sober chuvas, long, intricately argued, kind of uh, down-to-earth chuvas. The Torah Lishma is a bit more of a uh, colorful work. The chuvas are often shorter and punchier and kind of uh, more uh, curious and interesting questions. This chuva maybe fits into that category. The case was as follows. A man died intestate, he had sons and daughters. According to Din Torah, sons inherit, daughters don't inherit. Um, the custom today is that, is that people typically write wills and they give property to their daughters. And that's something which has, which has a long uh, tradition in halacha as well, that uh, this goes back all the way to the Talmudic times, that people would give their daughters a share of their estate the Gemara says, why? And if the Torah says, Yerusha goes to a son, why do we do that? So the Gemara says, because it's a mitzvah to give them a dowry. Back then it was done at the time of the marriage. He would, he would, he would, gift, uh, he would give a gift to his daughter of a substantial portion of his, of his property to help her get married. In, in, in the medieval period, this was routinely done. This was the famous Shtar Chatzi Zachar. It was, uh, it was a, kind of, a kind of a will given as a dowry. When, 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 when a rich man would marry his daughter, he would give the, the couple a document that, uh, that, that guaranteed them a, a share of, the, of his inheritance upon his death. But it was done at the time of marriage, in later generations, in modern times. We typically do that in the form of a regular will, that people write wills, and uh, they're, they're, it is recommended to, uh, to, to write a will to incorporate uh, halachic mechanisms to make sure that the will will be valid, alpeds, and Torah as well. Post can debate whether an ordinary secular will is valid according to Din Torah. Many say it is, some say it's not, so it, it is, many say it's not. So it is recommended that a person draft a will in accordance with halachic principles as well. But the point is, there, there, there's, an, there's an outstanding, there's a long-standing custom of many centuries that people do, even though the Torah says sons inherit, daughters do not, but there's a long-standing tradition that daughters are given some share, either at the time of marriage or even later, according to some poskim, for a portion of the father's estate. But in the Torah Lishma's case, this was not done. No will was written. And therefore, according to Din Torah, this is something that's virtually unanimous. Almost all posts can agree that if there's no will, then all the property goes to the son, regardless of, whether, of what the secular law says. This is one area where virtually, not all, but virtually all posts can agree that we do not follow Din Malchusa when it comes to Yerusha. When it comes to wills, it could be we do, but if there's no will and it's just the, the raw Dina Yerusha themselves, virtually all posts can agree that we follow Din Torah and that the daughters cannot take the Yerusha if according to Din Torah, it goes to the sons. In this case, though, and in many cases, where the courts, where the legal system of the country in which they lived, did grant the daughters some share of the estate, so daughters were often tempted to go to court and take, the, and take what they could get under the, under the law. Postkim, as I said, almost universally frowned upon this. So the case of the Torah Lushma was, Bas HaMaredes, she's not listening to Din Torah, she's trying to seize part of the estate through, uh, through court, even though there are sons, the question was, uh, one other point, there is a major sheet in the postkim, and, and, and my understanding is that most postkim agree with this, that if the, daughter, if the sons need the daughter's legal cooperation, to title, let's say, real property in their name, or to, uh, if they need the daughter's signatures on paperwork, 
the daughters have the right to say, even though we respect in Torah and we're not going to take property that doesn't belong to us, we're also not going to cooperate with you unless you pay us. If you need our signature, you have to pay for it. That was also a, that was a debate going back several hundred years, but many, many Akronim say they have the right to do that. They have, they have, the Torah grants them the right to do that. They can say, unless you settle with us and give us some portion of the estate, we are not going to sign anything. We're not going to take the property. It doesn't belong to us. We're also not going to title it to you. And we're going to leave the property stuck in limbo. That they do have the right to do, according to many, perhaps most postkin. But, but to actually take the property, they have no right to do that. So the, the question of the Torah Lushma was, can we forge a will after the husband died, after the father died, can we forge a will to present to the court to foil the daughter's plans to seize, the, seize part of the estate for themselves. So can we do that or not? So the Torah Lishma says, his answer in brief is, in principle, yes. In practice, I highly recommend against it. In principle, he's, in practice, he says, it's a really bad idea, he says, or at least a really, something you should be really careful before doing, he says, because he says, because the possibility of getting caught, he says. If you get caught doing this, the, the Chil Hashem is, uh, is, is immense, he says. If they find out what happened, he says, then certainly, this is the old, you know, the New York Times test or the Washington Post test, you know, whenever you want to do something, even if you think it's Mutter al think about what the, what the implications will be if this becomes uh, the front page news in the papers. <coughs> so in practice, he's very reluctant to endorse this. But in theory, he says, he thinks this would be mutter. Why? On what grounds? So he brings several proofs. <coughs> His basic argument is, mutter l'shana shalom, you're allowed to lie to preserve peace, he says. This is even more important than that. To, to, to uphold Degelat Torah, to uphold the rule of the Torah, he says, ein l'cha shalom gadol mizeh, similar to what we saw about Davina Melech, to uphold the world, he says, is Kalvachomer uh, from simple shalom. To uphold the Torah, the Torah Lishma says, is Gadol HaShalom. Again, this is a radical extension of the print. Shalom does have a meaning. The meaning of shalom is to preserve harmony between people. He's, he, he, he takes for granted in his, in his worldview, in, in, his, in, his, in his, the way the, way, the, way the Ben Ishai is looking at the world, that upholding Torah is, is self-evidently an even greater value than preserving ordinary shalom bias. So he thinks in principle it would be mutter. In practice, though, he thinks that it is not a good idea, or it may not be a good idea, because in practice the danger of getting caught is, uh, is substantial, and the price of getting caught, the, 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 the religious price, the price of Chil Hashem, is tremendous, and, and therefore in practice he's not, uh, not quite ready to endorse this. I want to discuss one final idea about this, Mutter L'Shan Shalom. So we mentioned that Mutter L'Shan Shalom is a Gemara Nivamas, Mutter, Mitzvah, Hashem himself does it, the, a number of Mepharshim, Rishonim, and Akronim ask, in the same Gemara Nivamath, just a couple of Dafim earlier, there's a story which seems to discourage being Mishana at Mepnei Shalom. doesn't say it's Asr, but it, it, seems to, it seems to indicate that it's not appropriate. There's another, another humorous story. Again, a bittersweet story. It's, uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of funny, although it discusses a, uh, a bad relationship. It says that Rav, Rav had a wife they, they, they were just not happy together. They, they, the, Rav's wife was just, just, just gave him a very hard time. We don't know the whole story and how it came about, but whatever it is, Rav's wife was Rachman al-Nitzlan, we meet the Kashem Mimosa, Hashem should save you. Rav told Rav Chiyam, Hashem save you from a fate worse than death, literally a fate worse than death. What is a fate worse than death? We wondered, what does that mean? He figured it out. It was an allusion to a Pasuk in Mishle, Motzani marmi maves esa a wife with whom your relationship is failing and is not working, is a bad wife, is Marmi Mabas. So Rav was alluding to his unhappy domestic... Was that his mother or his, 
Rabchia was Rav's nephew, so it would have been his, would have been his aunt. Yeah. So it says that what Rav's wife used to do, whenever he would ask her to cook something, she would deliberately cook something else. I mean, there are worse things a wife could do, certainly to a husband, but she would, just to aggravate him, just to get under his skin, she would, she would deliberately switch and make something else. Where Rabchia... So I'm sorry. This is the, right. There, there, there were there, there was um, there, 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 there was apparently a, a different a different chia. The, the, the original of chia was what, there was one of chia who was, who was a nephew, but there's also a chia here who was uh, who was Rav's son. So yes, I guess, I guess it was both. This it's was the, right. So this was apparently the, 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 the original chia may, may have been chia his nephew, but the, the chia the next part of the story is chia Barav, who was apparently Rav's son. So he caught on to what was going on and he found the solution. Whenever he would relay a message from Rav to his mother, he would switch it, and then uh, when, when his when his mother would switch it back, so everyone everyone would be happy. His reverse mother psychology. reverse psychology exactly right. Right. So Rav Rav wondered at the at the improvement in his uh, in his domestic affairs. He said, "Your mother has improved. Your mother is no longer doing this to me." He told so I don't know why he told the truth, but he, he told his father what actually happened. He said, "No, no, I, actually, what's happening is." I am uh, switching the order. So he told him, you're, you're, you're very clever. I'm impressed that I have such a clever son. But, uh, but Lamaisa, I don't want you to do this. He says, you shouldn't do this because he brings a pasuk in Yirmiyahu, a criticism of Klal Yisrael at that time, limadu l'shonam daber sheker have nilu, that you, the people, are, they're teaching themselves to say sheker. It's a, it's a bad habit to get into of, of saying sheker. And you shouldn't do this. So many Mepharshim ask, why not? Even if Shekhar is Usser, but Mutal Shalom. So presumably, if he is switching the orders, was helping uh, prevent a repeated aggravation between Rav and his wife. So isn't this Mutal Shalom? So the Farshim give a variety of different explanations. The Sefer Hasidim says you ne- you're never supposed to lie Shalom, about things that are of ongoing significance, even though the story of Yosef seems to have been ongoing significance, or the story of Shol and, and uh, David. Uh, not so clear. But the Sefer Chassidim says you should never lie. You should only lie about events that are buried in the past. You shouldn't lie about anything of ongoing, of ongoing significance, even if it's an issue of Shalom. And that's according to one text of the Sefer Chassidim. That's what he saw from the story. Anything which is relevant, it's, an, it's a going concern. It's not simply relating uh, bits of history from the past. Anything which is relevant to an ongoing question, you have, you have to be honest, even if Shalom is at stake. Okay, again, difficult to see how they, how they work this out with the Gemaras and Yivamas. And Farshim talk about that. Meiri says, Meiri says that the that Meiri says a kind of very common sense, very pragmatic distinction. He says, "Mutual shalom, shalom is so important as a last resort. If there's no other solution, if it's intolerable, if it's, if it's going to damage the shalom bias, Rav knew he could tolerate it. Rav, Rav could deal. She made him beans instead of this. Not the end of the world. She's, she's, she's harassing me. I can tolerate it. I'll chin up and I'll still, you know, I'll, I'll manage." He says, I, "Let her do it if uh, if this is what she wants to do." I can deal with this. Uh, Rav was saying, yeah, you know, it'd be nice if I had better shalom bias, but, you, but, you, but you, not necessary. The, 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 the problem here is not great enough. The problem here is not great enough to, uh, to justify Sheker. Marshal, Marshal and his Yam Shal Shlomo, the Marshal says, Mutual Shalom is Be'akrai, is occasionally on an on a, on a, on a incidental, one off basis, you, could, you can do that. But something which is uh, habitual, which is going to come up again and again, that is, is a kind of a chinuch problem. You're, 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 you're accustoming yourself to lie. 
That, that's not a good media, even though it's technically mutter, mutter l'shanasim but getting, developing habits of lying, developing habits of, uh, of sheker, even if it's mutter. The Marsha says something, the, 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 the Marsha says something similar, he says, to be margil, to get used to what he says, is a problem, and that's why the, he brought the Pasuk in Yirmiya, the Marshal also points this out, he didn't tell him, it says, midvash sheker terchok, it's aster, he didn't tell him, you're not allowed to do it. You're allowed to do it, it is mutter. Certainly, it's mutter, you are allowed to do it. But what he was telling him was, he brought a Pasuk in Yirmiya, limdu l'shonim, people are, are training themselves in sheker, they're getting into habits of sheker, they're accustoming themselves to sheker, it's not a good habit, even if it's technically mutter, even if it's technically mutter, he says it, it, it's not something that the it, it, it's not something it's not something which you should get it's not something which, which you should get into the habit of doing. Years ago, when I was uh, I, I wrote about this, we were discussing a, a very common situation between spouses. You have spouses who get along very well sometimes, but you have one spouse who has the character traits of punctuality promptness, uh, when 8 o'clock means 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock means 4.30 for some people, but uh, there are some people who come on time or early, and there are some people who are, you know, on a good day they'll be 5 or 10 minutes late, and on a bad day they can be a half hour, an hour, two hours late. So very often if spouses have these different character traits, so, so what, 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 what the more punctual one is tempted to do is to say, let's be here at 5 o'clock. Really, he wants to be here at 6 o'clock, but the, the party starts 6 o'clock. He says 5 o'clock, and he knows that this way they can walk in around 6. So the, so the question is, is that mutter? Are you allowed to do that? So in a certain sense, that's really, that's really what was happening in the case of, uh, of Rav Chia, that the, Rav Chia was trying to get his father what his father really wanted by flipping his father's order. His father said, don't do it. That, that, that at the end of the day, even though you were accomplishing what I really want, even though it's something that ultimately you're accomplishing something that really is, is right, and really if in an ideal marriage we would be doing what, what, what we would be doing what the other spouse wants. We wouldn't have to do this, but at the end of the day, it is sheker. If I said beans and you say something else, really that, 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 that is a form of sheker, even if it might be mutter, but again, that it's really not an appropriate habit, and therefore there, there is a case that could be made that the lentils and peas, the way they translate these dishes, there, 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 is, there is a case to be made that a person really shouldn't do this because, because again, that, that, that's limdu l'shonim dabar sheker. At the end of the day, even though mutl l'shonim dabar shalom, a person really should be careful. Not, again, I'm not taking necessarily usher, but uh, there, there is, there is uh, at least one, way, one inference you can make from this Gemara that perhaps you shouldn't do that because it's, it's not good to get into the habit of, uh, of saying sheker. It might depend on what you say. If you say the wedding is called for 6 o'clock and it's actually called for 7.30, that's sheker. If you just say, let's aim to be there by 6 and you know that that will mean you'll be there by 7, in that case maybe you can argue you're not really saying a sheker, you're just stating a plan. I mean, so maybe that's different. But to actually say sheker, you, again, you get into this Gemara of limdu l'shonem daber sheker limdu l'shonem daber sheker havein